I read comics, show number 75. to say I'm not dead. Podcast's not dead. I had a little summer vacation. I got a little overwhelmed at work. And also real life, for those of you who are paying attention to the news, is also really depressing. So I'm recording this right at the end of September and all of the stuff about the election and all of the stuff about, oh, the U.S. economy collapsing has just been kind of depressing. So I haven't really been in much of a comics mood lately. But I still love comics and I'm still reading comics. In fact, the other day I reread the volume I have of DC's Best Imaginary Stories and that kind of cheered me up. So that was good. So the podcast isn't going away. This is a whole bunch of stuff I recorded during the summer, actually in July, as you'll hear by the introduction. And it's still relevant and I still want to put it out there. So that's what you're getting this time. The next podcast will have a bunch of new stuff, including some great stuff I got from the library. So just Be a little patient, and there'll be another new podcast coming soon. But in the meantime, here you go. I'm the only one not going to Comic-Con. I feel like I'm the only person in all of California, the the only comics fan in all of California who's not actually in San Diego this weekend. And I'm okay with that. I'm missing some fun stuff, including the Mystery Science Theater panel, which I think was going to be really good because everybody was supposed to be there. But then I found out that they're videotaping it and they're putting it on the 20th anniversary MST DVD. So it's just like being there. I felt lucky enough to sponsor someone, though, who was going to Comic-Con, and that was Leah Hernandez, who was on this show, gave a fantastic interview. So I gave her a little bit of money, and she agreed to promote my show for a whole day or half a day or something like that. And there were other sponsors, too. So I was there by proxy, which I think was good enough. So I'm going to review some comics and play some other fun stuff for you. But first, and I know if you want to get to the comic reviews, skip over this part. This will be about, I don't know, 10 minutes of talking about something else. There's been a lot of email coming in lately, and I'm not quite sure why this happened all of a sudden. And maybe people got put onto the show via somebody else. And then they tuned in and they thought, wait a minute, there's a girl and she's talking about comics. And now she's getting all feminist and ranty and it's making me feel queasy inside. I don't like it when people question the hierarchy. And there were comments and there were emails to this effect. So I wanted to address not those people specifically, but why on the show there is the feminist ranty stuff. And I think I've talked about this before, but it always bears refreshing. And I will try to be as clear as I can and keep it short. So as I said, if you're not interested in this, please skip over it and just go to the comic review bits. A lot of this was centered on my review of the graphic um, collection of stories called The Pushman. So I'll get to that in a second. You have to start with the fact that because we live in the Western world, we live in a patriarchy. That's not my opinion. That's the truth. The patriarchy is not one single man who controls everything. It's the system which was devised and implemented and controlled largely by men. So when you live in a patriarchy, women are valued according to their uh, meaning to men. 
women are always the opposite. Women are always not fully vested as citizens. You know, the Equal Rights Amendment never passed. So legally, women don't have equal rights with men. And neither do children. You know, children aren't really viewed as full human beings either. But that's a whole nother topic. So we live in a patriarchy. And me being a woman, I can't help but notice that this stuff happens around me all the time, every day. It's present every day. The viewing of women as accessories or in relation to men being there for the purpose of pleasing men or making men feel better is everywhere. It's in books, it's in television, it's in movies. It's in every advertisement that you see that pretty much has a woman in it. And most of the time, you get used to it and you let it pass and you don't comment on it because if you allowed every single one of these instances to bother you to the extent that it should, you would go insane or you would start killing people or probably kill yourself just to get out of the bad situation. So in order to survive, you just inure yourself to it like developing calluses and you don't quite make contact with it when you can help it. Sometimes you can't help it and it slaps you in the face. Sometimes that's literal. Um, sometimes it's just being assaulted in small ways, like having construction workers or other people make comments as you pass them by <clears throat> because you exist and because you're daring to walk down the street as a woman, you know, carrying a vagina. Sometimes it's being raped. Sometimes it's being killed. Sometimes it's just seeing your civil liberties taken away from you by the government. Um, Roe v. Wade, for example. So all of these things happen and sometimes you react and sometimes you don't react. But when something hits close to home or it's in your face, literally, it is like being slapped in the face. And personally, I don't like being slapped in the face. So when I'm doing things to entertain myself, like watching TV or watching a movie or reading a book or reading a comic book because I love comic books and comic books are a great form of entertainment for me. When there's something so egregious, so out of the ordinary, so gratuitous that it slaps me in the face, I have to comment on it. I can't suppress my gag reflex. It's there. It bothers me. I have to talk about it because if I didn't talk about it, it would drive me crazy. And I'm not, I'm not the only one. And I think that there is still a lot of consciousness raising to be done because if you're a guy, mostly this stuff doesn't slap you in the face because it's not about you. When I see images of women being, you know, abused and raped and killed and stuff, it's not just people around me. It's me. That's me that it happens to. It could be me. Maybe it has been me. <laughs> and maybe it will be me. It's not people that are just around me. It's me. And I feel it very, very personally because if you're a woman living in a patriarchy, bad things could happen to you all the time. And not because you did something to anybody else, merely because you exist and you're carrying your vagina around with you all the time. And just as an aside, to address rape more specifically, most of you probably know this, but rape doesn't happen because you do anything to provoke it. And it's not a crime of, I wanted sex. It's a crime of making a woman feel bad and abusing her. And it's men who rape. And it doesn't matter what you look like. And it doesn't matter what you wear. And it doesn't matter where you are. And you can do everything that has ever been told to you. You can curtail your life so severely that you never leave your house. And you'll still, men will still rape you if given the chance. Not all of them. Some of them. And the big question is, how do you tell which ones are going to do it? There is no way to tell. Most rape is acquaintance rape. Guys that you thought were your friends. Given the opportunity, 
they'll do it. So how do you tell the rapist from the non-rapist? How do you tell the guy on the street who makes some comment or looks you up and down or grabs your ass or grabs your tit as you walk past him from the guy who's just going to stop with that to the guy who will follow you back to your car and rape you and possibly kill you? There isn't any way to tell, unfortunately. So to see those kinds of images and stories and things happen all the time really, really bugs me. Per my review of Grace, uh, the other show, you know, that's why it bugs me is because the woman who is the catalyst for the story, it happens to her and she has no agency. And to put a finer point on it, I don't want that in my entertainment because that doesn't entertain me because it could happen to me and it might happen to me and it might have happened to me. When I want to be entertained, I want things that are going to take me out of reality and show me stuff and expand my imagination and all of the other things that comic books do that make me feel good and positive. And sometimes they have thrills in them. You know, I I don't mind the little jolting thrill, but I don't like stories where people, especially women, are terrorized because terrorizing someone is all about making them feel powerless. Um... And that's a situation that I don't think many men are in. Now, let me qualify this by saying white men specifically, straight white men, because I think most non-straight white men, you know, African-American people or Asian people or gay people do feel terrorized at one time or another, because again, it's not somebody near you. It's you. Um, You're the one who gets terrorized by people who threaten your livelihood, um, who threaten your existence because you are who you are, not because of anything you did to them, just because you exist. And therefore you must be made to feel less than a human being. And, um, there are people who will kill you just for existing. If you don't believe me, open the newspaper. It's there every day. And I read the paper because I like to be up on what's going on in the world. And when I see the same stories that are in the newspaper, in comic books, um, And the story in the comic book is merely a replication of what happens in real life with no twist on it or saying, here's something we could learn from this or um, here's a way out to make me feel better. Uh, That's not entertainment for me at all. So when I read a story, I either want to be entertained or I want to learn something. And a lot of times those two things go together and that's the best kind of media that there can be. A story where you learn something, a story where you're entertained and, you know, you like the characters and it all goes. And I think that those are the best things that we produce. And there's so much of it. Um, For me, even Silver Age Legion of the Superheroes does both of those things at the same time. It's hugely entertaining to me. But at the same time, you know, you get a little bit into the characters and maybe you learn a little bit something. That's more on the entertainment side. There's lots of media where it's more about the learning than the entertainment. And I think serious things like uh, Mouse, for example, is all about a learning experience. It's not pleasant, but you learn a hell of a lot from that. Uh, It's presented in a form where you can learn and it's shocking and awful and it makes you feel sad, but there's something in it that you got to learn from and it does make you feel hopeful at the end. So to bring that all the way back around to the Pushman, And especially that one story in there, Bedridden. That story I neither learned from, nor did it entertain me. Here are some possible things that I could have learned from that story. If you remember, that's the story about a woman who is kept as a sex slave. And the um, two men who are the main... We never see her and we don't hear her talk, of course. The two men who are the main characters, um, one ends up killing the other so that he can have this woman as his sex slave. And at the end, it's revealed that he's the ninth in a series of men who have kept her merely to serve them. So what do we learn? Okay. Um, We could learn that this is a male fantasy 
to have a woman who's merely a sex slave. And because the men in that book are generally presented as pretty generic, they're very hard to tell apart. They look the same. They're supposed to be an everyman. Okay. So it's every man's fantasy to keep a woman um, as a sex slave where she never gets to crawl out of her little sleeping bag. That's pretty shocking. That gets an ew for me. Um, that this isn't really meant to be a reflection of men's fantasies, but it's, uh, I don't know, a dystopian society where this could happen. But I don't think that that is what I'm supposed to get from it because everything else about it presents this as the real world. So it's somebody's view of the real world. Um, am I supposed to learn from this that men keeping women as sex slaves is a bad thing? Duh. <laughs> I didn't think I need to read a horrible story like that to learn that particular fact. And in fact, if anybody is supposed to learn that from the story, that they never realized that before, that's frightening. I don't even want to think about that very much. And again, it's a story that could be me because I'm a woman. That could be that. And if you're a guy, you know, it could be your sister. It could be your mother. It could be your girlfriend or your wife or your daughter. Is that really how we're supposed to view the world. And P.S., it's not a fantasy. This happens. This is the real world coming in, you know? Read the paper. Read about that horrible guy in Austria who kept his own daughter as his sex slave. It happens in countries all over the world all the time. A woman is kept as a sex slave to a man. <laughs> Why do I need to see it in a story? I know it happens in the real world, and I don't want to think about it happening in the real world most of the time, except when I'm trying to do something about it and make it stop. So <laughs> the other stories in the book, as I said, there are everyman characters. Okay. What am I supposed to learn from that? Well, they're not entertaining stories in the way that you, you think, you know, entertainment expand my imagination. So what do we learn? We learn that in this society, which is Japan <clears throat> of the late 60s, early 70s, um, ordinary everyday guys feel beaten down by the system that they're in. Okay, I get that. Further, though, they're not just beaten down, but they take this feeling of powerlessness out on women for the most part. Um, they're, they don't just hurt themselves. They have to hurt the women. And the stories are set up in such a way that it makes it seem as if the women in the stories have some power over these everymen. And they don't. That's the thing. In a, in a patriarchy, and Japan is a patriarchy and has been for a long time, the women are below the men. They don't have power over them. To present them as in, in every single story as greedy and capricious and mean and evil and awful... It's not because they have power over men. It's because they have less power than men. And that's all that they can do to survive. And it, that view of the world says that every man in that situation is going to abuse women. And every woman in that situation is going to feel so awful that all she has to do is be an awful person. And I don't think that's true. And there's nothing in the book that makes me feel like there's any alternative to that situation. So I'm not entertained and I'm not learning anything from it. So in my view, that's not a book for me. Maybe for other people it is, but my view of that is I don't want to read this. It doesn't do anything for me. So that's a very long-winded way of explaining my reaction to it. And also saying when I read something or I see something where I see women being gratuitously treated in the same way that they are in the real world. I don't like it. It's like being slapped in the face. I just saw some preview art for 
something from DC. And, you know, there's Power Girl again with her boobs almost hanging out of her costume. And another female superhero that I can't remember, and it's not important, who's flying up into the sky. And she's doing the spine twist thing so that you can see her ass. And of course, she's sticking her ass out in a way that's pretty much anatomically impossible. And you can see both her tits at the same time. And her tits are almost in the boob sock thing. And that's a slap in the face. Why Why is that there? Why does she have to be drawn that way? What is that cover telling me? It doesn't entertain me. And the, the response to that is, well, it entertains all those guys out there. So therefore, you have to put up with it. It doesn't seem very fair. And you know what? I don't like getting slapped in the face. Do you? All right, enough of the serious stuff. Here's something funny that I thought I'd play for you. As you all know, I'm an out atheist, and I recently discovered a really good blog that's called stuffgodhates.wordpress.com. I'm a big fan of religious parody of all types, and this is a particularly good one. So it's God's blog, and God likes to talk about all the things he hates. And no surprise, he hates a lot of stuff. Um, as of today, there are about 35 entries, and here are some of the things that he hates, just in case you wanted to know these things. He hates fat people, Boy Scouts, dead soldiers, George W. Bush, too many questions, atheists, no surprise there, uh, science, cops, American Idol, the Pope Mobile, Hillary Clinton, women, the Virgin Mary, Patrick Swayze, of course, foreskins, of course, these things all make sense. But recently, he wrote a little blog about one other thing that he hates, and that's Galactus. And it was hilarious. So for those of you who probably don't have time to go over, I'm going to have it here. And the funny thing about this blog is that when you read it out loud, something strange happens. So here you go. Of the many powerful beings roaming throughout my cosmos, there is one that has provoked my righteous anger on countless occasions. I am speaking, of course, about Galactus, the devourer of worlds. Man, I hate that guy. He keeps eating all the planets I create. 
All he does is float about the universe and find planets I've made that can sustain life and then eat them. What a complete jerk. For example, a little while back I was working on a life-sustaining planet I had tentatively titled Archaeopia. Determined not to make the vast number of mistakes I made with Earth, I'd spent a full three months working on this particular planet. I had just finished up the final touches on Archaeopia when I decided to take a half-hour break to go quick check on how my Jews were doing. But when I came back, guess what? The planet was gone. Galactus had already come and eaten it. You know, I'd worked really hard on that planet. And, like always, that jerk Galactus comes along and just eats it without even asking me if he could have it. So naturally, I went and confronted him about it. Galactus claimed he was really hungry and didn't know it was mine. Whatever. He's such a liar. You know, I wouldn't mind so much if he went around eating non-life-sustaining planets. I don't spend any time on those. They're templates. But no! Galactus, the devourer of cock, has to eat the special planets I've worked so hard on. Galactus thinks that just because he's this huge, powerful being that wields the power cosmic, that he can do whatever he wants and be an obnoxious, insensitive prick all the time. He yells and curses a lot and pretty much has no regard for anyone else's feelings. I really hate people like that. It's like, who does he think he is, anyway? His power, although impressive, is nothing when compared to the divine power that I, the Almighty Lord, possess in just my little pinky toe. I could totally erase him from existence if I wanted. I just choose not to. Anyway, Galactus is a feeb and a me wannabe. His main enemy has always been the corny lames known as the Fantastic Four, and they've thwarted him how many times now? Has to be at least 15 to 20. Also, his head is frigging tiny and is completely out of proportion with the rest of his body. And he's ugly. I hate him, and I hope he chokes on the next world of mine he eats. I, the Almighty Lord, have spoken.
Okay, an actual comic review now. Yay, it's about time. I know you're all jumping up and down, unless you stopped listening. <laughs> okay, this is a book called The Sandwalk Adventures, and it's by Jay Hosler. And it is um, sort of self-published. It's a small press publication. And I didn't know anything about this book, and I wasn't sure what it was going to be when I opened it up. But it's so cool. It's one of the best books that I've read. It was the 2002 Eisner Award nominee for Best New Series. And it's in this beautiful trade paperback. And I'm so glad that I have it. So it's published by um, Active Synapse in Columbus, Ohio, just so you know. This is a book about evolution. Well, it's a book about Charles Darwin, actually. Well, it's a book about... Um, mites that live on um, their follicle mites that live in Charles Darwin's eyebrows, if that makes sense. It's a great way to present ideas about science and evolution in a, in a really fun, friendly, non-confrontational way. So these mites, I, you know, everybody has them. They live in your hair and in your eyebrows and all over, and you're never aware of them because they're weeny, weeny little things. In this story, they're intelligent and they talk. And the protagonists, Mara and her little brother, Willie, are taught from childhood when they're, they're born. Well, they're not so much born. Anyway, it's not important. The way they view the world is that there are gods and there are demons and things like that. And Darwin, to them, is a god because they live on him and that's the only way they ever see the world. And for some reason, Mara is able to talk to him. And so she starts asking him questions. And through this question and answer thing, Darwin explains to her that he's not a god and the world isn't the way she thinks it is. And he ends up talking about how natural selection works and why they are the way they are. And every chapter is, is really cleverly done as he explains different principles. She takes that and kind of misunderstands it. You know, they say a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And it's hard for her to understand that her world is now totally turned upside down. And she has to start thinking about it from the scientific point of view, but she does. Of course, she has a really tough time convincing anybody else that this is the truth. And in the end, she ends up leaving and goes to um, live somewhere else. And I don't want to spoil the end of it because it's a really, really nice ending. But it's a wonderful way to talk about the science of evolution. And, and there are lots of footnotes, there are, there are endnotes actually, that explain more if you want to know more about it, where Darwin came up with his theories and what kinds of experiences he had that informed him. And other characters from Darwin's real life uh, are in here. Um, it's called Sandwalk Chronicles because a lot of, sorry, Sandwalk Adventure is because that was the place that he would walk while he was thinking about all his theories and his house in England. It was the sand walk. And he would just walk up and down as his exercise and let all these ideas percolate in his brain. So that's where a lot of this question and answer stuff takes place while he's walking on the sand walk. And there are some beautiful illustrations of the house that he actually lived in and great illustrations to kind of show you how evolution might work. And it's just done in such a clever, clever, friendly way. I love it. And it makes Darwin seem much more of a real person than just, you know, a dead white guy, which is, I think, the way a lot of people think of him. So I think this should be required reading in schools. You know, this is another one of those graphic novels that they could actually hand out in science class and kids would learn so much more from it than they would from textbooks because textbooks can be really, really boring. So I would hereby like to suggest that this be required reading for high school biology classes so that kids can understand about evolution in a really fun way. And I'd say that this book 
really, you could give to a kid, you know, maybe 10 years old, and they would actually understand a lot of what goes on in here. And it might actually get them curious about more science and how we do experiments to figure these things out. And you know, what the latest discoveries for fossils are, because there's new fossils being discovered every day that fill in all those transitional species and the gaps. So this is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, Jay Hosler apparently just worked on it in his spare time over m many, many years. And I'm so glad that this has been published. So I got to say, I just love this book. And if you want to pick up something that's really, really different, that's not a superhero book, um, I can, I have no reservations about recommending it. I think it's really, really great for, um, adults, but also for kids as well. In a related story, here's a book that I've had for a while, but I didn't get around to reading the whole thing through and of course not reviewing it for a while. But anyway, it's called Action Philosophers and it's volume one and it's by Fred Van Lent and Ryan Dunlevy. And I didn't really know anything about this, but I'd heard it mentioned in a couple of places. So I decided to order it. And there's a volume two as well. And I think there's a volume three coming out as well pretty soon. And it's a collection of the individual issues that they had done. And it's so cool. I love it. Again, you could hand this out to people in an intro philosophy class and they would get a lot more out of it than they would out of the textbook. So this one features, uh, it's sort of historically or, um, ordered. So there's Plato, Nietzsche, Bodhidharma, Ayn Rand, Thomas Jefferson, St. Augustine, Freud, Carl Jung, and Joseph Campbell. So it goes from um, Greeks to modern times. And each one of these stories is about, I don't know, 10 pages long. And the text is very serious, but the drawings are hilarious and serve as a good counterpoint to the um, more reasonable explanation of what's going on. And many of the people who are in here are portrayed almost as superheroes, which I think is great. And it's really funny to see people like Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, portrayed as he must have been, you know, a pretty unpleasant guy to hang around, what with all the nihilism and all that. So um, I'll, I'll just read little bits of it. Each one takes the biography of that person who was closely identified with a particular philosophy talks about where their ideas came from and how they developed it and kind of what happened in their real life that um, informed how they lived out their philosophical ideas or didn't in some cases and then what happened to them in the end. So you get to see the full arc of their life and each philosophy is presented very straightforwardly and then there are some criticisms of it toward the end as well, because every philosophical system has its pros and cons, um, some more pro and some more con. So um, what I, I just like the little asides in here, and it's drawn in a really cool, it's black and white, and it's very uh, cartoony in a way, which I think completely uh, suits this. So here, the um, action philosopher number three, Friedrich Nietzsche, and he's jumping out of a book, and he is got a big U on his chest for Uberman, and he kind of looks like a robot. So uh, our hero was born in 1844 near modern-day Leipzig in Germany to a long line of preachers. For most of his childhood, little Friedrich wants to be a man of the cloth himself, but college, college changes all that. There, he switches to his, his allegiance to classical scholarship, although, as we shall see, his thoughts never stray far from salvation. 
1868, he joins the philology, which is literature department at the University of Basel in Switzerland. And so accompanying this is a little picture of him with a, a hat on and a big book under his arm. And he's kissing a bust of Aristotle. Um, young Professor Nietzsche gains notoriety with the publication of The Birth of Tragedy in 1892, in which he argues that Athenian drama served a nationalist, culturally unifying purpose. And here's an illustration of uh, a stage, and the people in the audience have banners that say, Go Athens, kick Sparta's ass, and Greeks rule. The next panel says, In ancient Athens, Nietzsche sees a mirror of his beloved modern-day Germany, now unifying politically after centuries as individual squabbling principalities, and highly vulnerable to the specter of communism creeping across Europe. So there's Nietzsche, and he's looking at a rally with a banner that says, Workers Unite, and his thought bubble says, Marx is so full of it. <laughs> so it keeps going like that, and then... Uh, it, it explains a little bit about his philosophy, and it says, you know, equality is a human-created concept, bogus and ultimately corrupting. It's totally antithetical to our democratic way of thinking. But another way to put it is to invoke the old punk rock ethos. And there's Nietzsche as the front man for a band called the Zarathustrians, and he's singing, 98% of everything is shite. And uh, he, he's dressed like a punk rocker, and he's got, you know, uh, pierced eyebrows and is wearing high tops and stuff. Anyway, um, so it's like that. It's really, really funny. But it also gives you a good view, uh, kind of a, his, as I said, historical and uh, pan-Western view. And, and there's some Eastern stuff in there, too, about different kinds of philosophy. And what I think this does more than anything is really show you that these different schools of philosophical thought really grew around individuals who had ideas that were in opposition to the place where they were at that time. You know, um, Freud when he came up with his psychoanalytic theory was rebelling against um, what was currently going on and everybody thinking that, you know, things had to come from God or that everybody was um, just kind of created and, and existed that way. And he was exploring all these different ideas about how people are shaped psychologically from when they grow up. And people hadn't really thought about that before. Of course, we know a lot of what, you know, Freud said was crap, but there were some interesting ideas that he came up with. And I think that's how, what you take away is that even though each philosophical system might have some huge flaws, there is something to take away from each one of it. And in the end, everybody just has to make up their own mind as to what will work best for them or what's important. I think uh, the thing that, that gets the most ass kicking in here is probably um, objectivism and Ayn Rand because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that that's really nuts. <laughs> and, and it was all built around the cult of personality for her, especially. And um, her own behavior was so in contrast to what she professed to believe that you could be objectivist and not get caught up in petty human dramas. And yet her whole life was about, um, you know, feeling betrayed by a lover and all the, the crazy things that she did to try to right that wrong. So anyway, I really love action philosophers. I'm looking forward to getting into volume two, which I have right here. Let's see, who's in here? Karl Marx, Machiavelli, the Kabbalah, Descartes, Sartre, Derrida, Wittgenstein, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Kierkegaard. So um, that is less historical and um, more modern. And I can see from the illustrations on the cover that it's going to be really, really good. So I like action philosophers. And I'm really happy to, on this show, be talking about stuff from small presses because I think that we need to support them. And this is the kind of stuff that's just... Again, shows the best entertainment. It's entertaining and you learn something from it and it's fun and it's cool and it's got neat little pictures in it and you could hand them out of textbooks. What could be better than that? Comics. Comics are the way.
I did get to see Wally, which I thought was just a wonderful, wonderful movie. So I would encourage you to see that. It had lots of jokes in it. It was a good adult movie, but also a good kid movie at the same time. Had a very strong environmental statement, but also a very pro-human statement as well. The first part of the movie where Wally is on Earth all by himself is amazing, really, really amazing. So I will definitely encourage you to go see Wally and buy the DVD when it comes out because those Pixar DVDs have all kinds of good, 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 good stuff on them. I've got them all. I just keep buying them when they come out and I just love looking at all the extras. You know, um, I, I watch Toy Story a lot. Toy Story and Toy Story 2, like I have just watched them so many times. And I thought <laughs> in Toy Story 2, when Woody and Jesse are watching the old show on TV, when Woody was a TV star with the puppets, I thought it was puppets. I really didn't think that was animated. And then in one of the specials on the DVD, they showed how they animated that. And I was blown away because I was convinced that they had actually filmed marionettes live action to do that show. Unbelievable. So yeah, go see Wally. The Watchman trailer looks fucking awesome. I don't know if the movie's going to be any good, but wow, that trailer looks pretty good. So if you haven't seen it, uh, I think you can watch it at the Apple site and a couple of other places. Watch it in high def because it looks much, much better in high def. But yeah, Watchmen trailer. Speaking of Watchmen, there's a thing you can get on iTunes now that's, what is it called? Limited motion animation. It's kind of uh, one step down from the old Speed Racer cartoons. It's like... I can't even describe what it's like, um, but <laughs> it's an interesting attempt. They've only done chapter one so far, and it's obviously a promotional thing to go along with the movie, but I guess they're trying to introduce people to the source material because the plot is so incredibly complicated. So if you are in the United States, you can watch it. Now, I've heard that if you live outside the United States, you can't get it. So I downloaded it myself. It's an M4V format, which is the DRM protected iTunes thing. And I'm trying to work on a way to unprotect it so that people could watch it. I think the only way to do it is going to be to burn it to a DVD and then re-rip it. So I might just do that for you guys. Speaking of things that I've gotten for, for you, the faithful, that place that I've been storing files, the Toucan Storage Vault thingy. I put up a couple of new things. Well, several new things there. I found two interesting Alan Moore documentaries, um, which I've put up there. One is called The Mindscape of Alan Moore, and another is called England, There England. And I just think it's always good to have a look at Alan Moore. So those are up there. I put up um, a thing that was on the History Channel about comic books, which is kind of a generic overview of the history of comics in the United States. It's uh, not really in-depth, but it's good to see interviews with people that you probably never saw talk before. So I, I think I'll review that in a little more depth in an upcoming show. But it's definitely worth watching if you've got about an hour. And then the last thing I put up there was an episode of Fairly Odd Parents, which is one of those Nickelodeon cartoons called Channel Chasers, which I know I've talked about before, but I finally got around to ripping it into the correct format and uploading it. And it's great because it's an adult take on all of the cartoons that we watched as kids. And it has especially good parody of the Japanese animation of the speed racer type. So all of those things are there. And when I can get the Watchman thing in a viewable format, I'll stick that up for you guys too. So I'll put a link in, in the show notes that will point you in the right direction. But as before, please don't post it publicly and share it around with like a bazillion people. Cause I don't want my, my account to get yanked because of that. 
And in other news, I just found this out today. And by the time I get this episode posted, it won't be news anymore, but I thought I'd mention it. I've been reading and rereading all of my new Legion of the Superheroes trade paperbacks, a Dominion War and adult education, and all that, because I love it so much. I started off liking it and now I really, really, really love it. And I just read it over and over again. And then once in a while, I'll throw in one of the Legion archives just for fun. But I really can, can't get enough of it. So I saw on Scans Daily today, somebody posted scans of the continuation of this three boot of the Legion, which is now written by Jim Shooter. So I had to go to Wikipedia and look it up. And it say at Wikipedia, uh, the Wade Kitson run ended with issue number 30 after Barry Kitson's move to Marvel Comics with Tony Bedard becoming the new writer for a six issue run from number 31 to 36, which culminated with Supergirl's return to the 21st century. Beginning with issue 37, former writer Jim Shooter uh, started an open-ended run with Francis Manipul as the artist. The title of the book reverted to Legion of the Superheroes. So I love the Wade Kitson stuff. The Tony Bedard stuff, also good. The Shooter Manipul stuff, I hate it. I've only seen the scans on Scans Daily, and I really, really, really hate it. I don't like the writing, and I don't like the art. And I'm really mad, because <laughs> I was so digging the Legion again. And if it's all going to be like what I saw, I can't buy it. In the trades, whatever, I won't read it. It's Here's how it's bad. Um, it starts off with Light Lass and uh, Phantom Girl, I think, in their underwear. And, of course, they wear frilly girl underwear because they're girls and kind of wandering through Legion headquarters, gossiping about things and acting like girly girls. And the dialogue just doesn't ring true to me and... Then later on, we see Saturn Girl, and as you guys know, I have a big thing for Saturn Girl. First of all, she's not in uniform, and the clothes that she's wearing are completely revealing, and I think that goes against the character that we've seen, and also other people from Saturn, um, the other, the, the villain who was in the Wanderers, Jada, um, that they're all covered up, and that kind of goes along with the fact that they're telepaths, that they don't like to show any skin, but there she is with her boobs kind of busting out of this... I don't know what she's wearing. And that seemed totally off to me. Plus, she's also drawn very differently as kind of a, a sexy, almost a, like a stripper looking woman. You know, she's still got the blonde hair up in a ponytail, but now she's got like, you know, more eye makeup than RuPaul and her face looks totally different. And she's got the typical pouty look. So all the girls now and Light Lass has much longer hair too. They all look like typical stripper-esque girls rather than the way... They used to, the way Barry Kitson drew them. So, uh, yeah, just not really liking it. And things jump around too much, and they're facing some bad thing that who knows what the hell it is. And also Superboy and Supergirl aren't around. And, you know, I was really digging on Supergirl there. So, I don't know. Maybe somebody can convince me that it'll be worth reading it. But given what I saw in Scans Daily, no. And Scans Daily continues to be wonderful. So if you don't check in there every once in a while, you should, because there's some amazing stuff that gets posted. What a great community. So in closing, um, keep going to the comic book store. Go to Comic Relief and keep buying stuff, even though Rory's not there anymore. It's still, in my opinion, the only comic book store that matters. And uh, keep sending me email, because I really do love to get email. And thanks to everybody who was so supportive uh, of me and of the show, despite some of the comments that I was getting and 
continue to get, I'm sure, but I do appreciate it. I do read all the email. I'm sorry when I, I can't respond because my life is just too crazy, but I do appreciate it. So I'm going to play something fun and next time more reviews. Thank you.